Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You have found another episode of Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. My name is Tom Singer, and I am the host of this show. And today we're going to talk about showing up in an evolving world. And our guest is Jessica Pettit, CSP. Hey, Jess, welcome to Speakernomics. Hello. Good morning. Hello, Speakernomics people. So, Jessica, what are your two tips for speakers about showing up in an evolving world? Get a pin because they're quite easy, but they're hard to do. Number one is knowing who and how you are. And number two is knowing where you are. All right. That's it. We're going to find out what that means and we're going to unpack this. But for those of you who don't know Jessica, she is a diversity consultant and speaker. She has a background in stand-up comedy. She loves, absolutely loves cheese. And she talks to audiences and really anybody she meets in the street about topics that really seem to scare us. And in a world that has evolved a lot, in a world with cancel culture, there's a lot of people out there who are nervous. They're nervous about saying the wrong thing. They're nervous about being misinterpreted for saying the wrong thing. So when we have questions like this, I always say, let's go ask Jess. So today we are gonna ask her all about how do we live? How do we show up in this evolving world? So Jessica, When you say tip number one is know who and how you are, what do you even mean by that? So I think this is actually the greatest way (laughs) of starting this. So first off, listeners, Tom and I know each other quite well. And so, uh, Tom, you may or may not be aware that as of recently, there's a, a phrase going around about being stale, pale, frail, and male. Have, uh, perhaps you're aware of this. Ouch! You just described me. Maybe not yeah. so. Maybe not so frail. But okay. Not so frail. You're a runner. So what? What is fascinating to me is when we when I talk about knowing who and how you are. What I mean is is what identities do you have? What lived experiences do you have? How have you navigated the planet so far? You would think we would all know this information. But because it's our life, we often kind of know it, but we're not really thinking about it. We're not being conscious about it. So what is happening specifically to my, we'll take the white male speakers, white men speakers that I'm friends with, like you, Tom. And what ends up happening is, is all of the sudden, it seems that you have been objectified. 
that you're like, oh, well, we have too many white men on this panel or, oh, we have too many white men speakers. And what often happens is those white men have never really felt objectified that way before. Now, other people who have other identities, we get objectified and tokenized all the time. So the first step of knowing who you are is knowing what identities you're bringing to the table. And it's not just demographic identities, but it's also your politics or your values or where you've lived. Were you a farmer's kid or were you a city person, first generation college student, never went to college, youngest, oldest, those kind of things, knowing who you are, how you are is how you impact a room. So, Tom, I think if we use you as an example, or both of us even, is that we're able to bring humor to places in a meeting that are often not really seen as humorous. So whether it's a keynote or networking in your case or being able to emcee really well in your case, it's not just being funny, but it's knowing how you impact the audience and how you work with the client. That's knowing who and how you are. So... When you talk about, I, I understand know who you are, right? There's, there's, like you said, there's certain background things, the way I grew up, the, the, the religion I grew up in, the way my parents, the values they gave me, I, I kind of get the who you are, but I want to go a little deeper on knowing the how you are, because I understand it because we had like a half hour talk before we did this interview, but I think a <laughs> lot of people will be like, is that actually correct English? Know how you are? What? I don't understand what she's talking about. Well, it's more than the 30-minute conversation we had before this interview. We've been friends for a decade and a half. So the how you are has been an evolving process for you, my friend. So I think what's important is those of those people listening who may or may not have built a relationship with Tom at this point listening to all these interviews, Tom and I more than likely would not eat dinner at the same restaurant, although we have gone out to eat together. <laughs> we often don't have the same car, but yet... Tom is the brother I wish I had. And she has a brother. That's kind of a, that's kind, that might be a little bit of a dig. Yeah, it is a little. Um, but it's also a little bit of a compliment for you, but that doesn't mean you always like your brother either, Tom. So the how you are is about the feedback that you get from other people. So when we start talking about, you mentioned cancel culture or kind of the evolving sensitivities of things, that the how you are really means that you have to listen to the feedback that you get. So for example, my feedback that I get often when I speak is that um, they really thought they were going to be terrified, but they actually laughed and learned. Now, to me, that seems like a duh statement because this is my job, but it is really important for me to understand that because I will never be my own buyer and I will never be in my own audience. So what is the affect and what is the effect you have on other people? In our professions, we have an audience and a client to work with, but we also have strangers and friends and family members who have been telling us all along how we are. We just haven't been listening. But that's the knowing who and how you are so that once you know that that's the base, that's the foundation of then being able to move to what if we could transition to the next step, which is really knowing if once you know who and how you are, then you really need to know kind of where you are. All right, let's make that transition. So let's say that that I've evolved and I've learned and I I understand who I am and, and how I am. What do you mean by know where you are? I mean, I'm in a hotel ballroom. Right. So there's literal and metaphorical. So let's start with metaphorical, right? So in today's news, in whatever we think is today's society, 
where are you and where do you stand? So, for example, because people are very scared of talking about polarizing op, uh, subjects and or politics, and that's kind of all I talk about, I need to be very conscious of the, the state regulations, state-level current events uh, of the state that I'm about to speak in, um, so that I can determine exactly how far left in this audience do they think I'm going to be. So if I'm in Washington state on the west side of Washington state, for example, I'm going to come off pretty conservative or moderate. And if I am pretty much anywhere else in the country, there's a very good chance they're going to think that I'm literally going to light on fire because I'm such a pinko commie liberal. (laughs) So I have to adjust what it means to kind of thread that needle with that audience based on where I am located in a, a holistic sense. There's also, I talked about this in the Digital Vault on Demand webinar that I did, that is about also the indigenous land that the place is on that you're at, the place in time, what kind of movements are happening, what's the political atmosphere. Those things are really important to know kind of where you are at in the world. There's also the personal pieces, right? Like, how am I doing? You know, if I'm tired today or I'm sad today or I'm super energized today or I accidentally had caffeinated coffee instead of decaf coffee, that's going to impact the people that I'm around and I'm going to have to adjust for that. So that's what being being conscious of where you are is really the level that we often forget because we're actually unconsciously focusing on knowing who and how we are. So you speak about, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion issues. And so being aware of what's going on in the world is it's what you get paid for, right? You're you, you address these topics. But for somebody who's talking about maybe a more business topic or some topic that's not related to social issues or political issues, how aware do they need to be of things that are going on in the news? Things like Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement that was huge and impacted all of us. Is that something speakers should be paying attention to in this knowing where you are concept if their topic doesn't relate to that? Should they still be aware and how do they implement being aware? Yep. This is one of those super controversial questions, right? So when we talk about speakers, there's like two camps. Usually there's three, but two get all the attention. So I would say, yes, you have to. There are other people who would say, no, avoid all current events. I'm not that team, right? So you're interviewing me. Here we go. So the reason why I would say that is I'm actually going to use the last client I was just speaking to. It's an executive of an association management company that focuses primarily in the medical world, right? And one of the first times that the executive director saw me speak, there was something had just happened in the news that was very controversial and very polarizing. I can't remember which one it was. We've worked together for a while. And the executive director said I was the first person who ever said, you have to address these things with your staff or with your members in real time because people don't leave the real world at home. Now, some might say like, oh, this is because everyone's working remotely now. But no, we never left the real world at home. We just pretended that we did. And what's the most important thing when we're talking about organizational or workplace culture is that whether you're paying attention to it or not, it is being formed. People are feeling your culture, even if you're not paying attention to it. And that actually works not just on an organizational level, but it works on an individual level, too. That's why we have to be conscious of the culture we're kind of putting out or that we're used to and then how that changes based on context. 
So for speakers who don't deal in those political issues and, and things like you do, what are just some tips for them about knowing where they are when the where they are is a, is a world that is evolving and changing? A world that's evolving. Uh, again, literally, especially if you're in a hotel, try a local newspaper, right? So even if you check in really, really late at night, there might still be a copy of yesterday's paper laying around. So what is on the cover when you're in a hotel? Don't turn on the cable. Turn on the local news. Watch the local news. The reason why this is relevant is that even if people are flying from all around the country or even the world to attend the event in that place, they probably got there yesterday. So the shuttle drivers are talking about stuff like use your resources and find out what's happening locally, what's a big deal locally. And if it's not the attendees, the staff, the people who are working the room, the people who got there early for the board meetings or for the uh, planning of the event itself, they know those things. Then there's also the national news and the international news of what's going on. Um, You can be an accountant speaking about the importance of Excel I feel you, right? And uh, you still need to know what might be in people's feeds on their phones and their pockets because they're paying attention to what is happening with their families, what's happening with their coworkers or their employees. You need to know this information. So going back to your first tip about, you know, knowing, knowing who and how you are, how, how do people take stock and maybe evolve and change themselves in this world? That is a very good question. And again, Tom, because we have been friends for so long, I think you're a really great example of it, too, is that you actually have to stop and think and process with yourself. Um, You might have some people in your inner circle that you can kind of bounce some of these reflections off, but it's your responsibility to be self-reflective. So even if somebody says like, wow, this has really changed in you or wow, you've really evolved here or wow, maybe you should go take a shower. Somebody's giving you some feedback and you get to choose whether or not you're going to listen to it. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to notice your own growth and your own recesses. When I know that this is potentially supposed to be evergreen, but we will forever remember this COVID period that at least as of today has not quite ended yet. But What has happened is it's really exposed a lot of our organizational weaknesses and our organizational strengths, but it has also done that for us on an individual level, and that's our responsibility and to support other people as well. So, in fact, you know, you used me as an example. So my my daughter, Kate, who some people in the NSA world know, uh, she says, I'm a better person because Jessica is my friend. And you can interpret that however you want. But that is Kate's line uh, about uh, my friendship with Jessica. So, Jessica, you're going to be one of the keynote speakers at Influence 2022 in Nashville this coming July. And that's why Nashville, that's why we wanted to have you on Speakernomics, because we're really excited that you're going to be this this keynoter. Tell us a little bit about your keynote and where you're going to go with that and what people can expect from you. Well, the idea is to be able to allow everyone in the room, regardless of your experience or possibly even investment or interest level in what is referred to as cancel culture or more specifically the fear of being canceled. How can I bring everyone together 
to be able to equalize what that means and how it can impact not just your business, but also you as a person. Um, I'm hoping that everyone will feel invited to go on an adventure with me as we talk about what this means, where it came from, what it means from a historical context, and then really work on what I like to refer to as the two horses. Tom, would you like me to tell you what the two horses are? Please, I would love to know about the two horses. And I'm going to go out on a limb. I think everyone listening is like, ooh, what are the two horses? Think about it for a moment. What's a speaker without a professionally published book? You're still a speaker, but you're most likely less impactful, less profitable, and less widely known. A book reinforces your message, promotes you when you're not there, and boosts your income even when you aren't speaking. You're leaving money and opportunity on the table when you don't publish. If you're worried about the time and hassle involved in writing a great book, leave that to book launchers because we have our hashtag no boring books process and team of expert professionals to help you take your book from concept to copies to cash flow. Visit booklaunchers.com today. What are the two horses? Yes. Well, once a Texan, always a Texan. So I believe kind of the antidote to a lot of these things, spoiler alert, is that you need to ride two horses at once. One horse's humility and one horse's ego. And when we start talking about self-reflection, what's important to notice is the patterns of when you show up on each horse and to listen to other people. Because if you spend too much time on one horse versus the other, you're, you're not getting anywhere, right? So when we think about our speaker audiences and our speaker friends, we all know friends who spend way too much time on the ego horse, way too much time. Get off that horse. It's tired. But we also know people who spend way too much time on the humility horse. You have to be able to use both, right? When I'm on my ego horse, I'm writing copy for my website and I look like a baller. And when I'm on the humility horse, I'm also learning. I'm increasing my own knowledge of my own expertise. I'm receiving feedback. I'm being humble, right? So humility and ego, both are needed, but not just one at a time. Ooh, so I love this whole idea of humility and ego and that you have to find the balance. You have to ride both horses, as Jess would say, at the same time. Now, There's a lot of people out there who say, oh, I don't have an ego. I don't know how you become a professional speaker if you don't have a little bit of an ego because you've got to have that part that that gets you out on stage. But a lot of people try to only live in that humility. I'm just here to serve. Talk about that, that balance. How do you get the balance? Because I think you're right. I think that you have to be able to have a little bit of that ego to be successful in this business. But sometimes people are, they're just really... That's that's their whole image. The, the humility horse has been left in the barn. So how do you find that balance? Sure. I, I think that a lot of times in our organizations, regardless of you know where you're at or how much money you're making, nobody really would be. Well, I guess that's not true. Somebody probably would be. But I think a lot of people get into this because we care about our message and we want to leave the world a better place. That's totally fine. Where the controversy comes in is, are you willing to admit that you are living in a capitalistic society and you have to run a business, um, which then leads into building a practice, which leads to like secession planning and continuity planning and those kind of things. I've lost people. If I've lost you, it's because you're here to make the world a better place. And it's not about that. But what ends up happening, whether you want to admit it or not, is that how are you going to make the phone ring? That's what's always left out of these programs. So you can build the structure and the phone's not ringing, or you can wait for the phone to ring and be chasing business. But doing one only 
for too long will actually not allow you to share your message and or pay your bills. You're going to have to do both. So, but the, the ego side, the part that helps you pay your bills and put yourself out there as the expert that everybody listening is, sometimes can lead people to getting into trouble. Because sometimes doesn't that, hey, look at me, you know, being out there a little bit too much in ego, doesn't that lead us into this world of where people can run into the problems that you're talking about with cancel culture and other other things? Uh, both ways, actually. I mean, I think I think the point that you're making is that if you're not... The language that I would use is that if you're not being conscious, you're in danger, girl, to quote Whoopi Goldberg from The Ghost. What what I think is relevant, I heard this actually last week, and I think that this is relevant. So what is the difference between fear and excitement? The answer is your breath. And I think that when you're switching horses, it's because your fear has gotten so big, you think the other horse is going to do a better job, hopefully. But you can be excited about switching horses as well, but ultimately we're responsible for what we're doing. A lot of cancel culture responses are absolutely out of fear, but it's also out of the excitement that if we do this one little thing, then we don't have to address the larger problem because it looks like we will. And that's how you get to like tokenized kind of one-off statements or movements or decisions because they also are not really rooted in responsibility. So navigating between fear and excitement involves ego and humility. And really only you individually, me individually can do that. Um, and that's why the work is hard and why most of us don't do it. So what are some real mistakes that people are making? And, and let, let's go for that, you know, white male speaker audience. What are some mistakes that people are making that they, they don't mean to be making? Because the truth is, I don't think most people are ill-willed in some of the mistakes that are made. I think that they're coming from, you know, a place of wanting to do the right thing, but they're stepping in it. What are some of those mistakes that people make? Well, this is a dissertation. Uh, number one, I guess I would say is, uh, believing everything you hear and read inside of your own echo chamber. So again, I'm not blaming social media for this, but I'm blaming the fact that I have like a hard drive in my pocket at all times that is constantly confirming what I think and believe. Um, so then it's really hard to ever actually question what I think and believe. Uh, if we do a, a shout out to an OG Mother Teresa who had a lot of problems, but one of the best things that I learned in my archival research on her was that she questioned her own beliefs. And I think we should too, regardless of what those beliefs are, because if you can question them and still come back to them, you're just going to believe in it that much stronger. It is also possible along the way you might make some edits. But questioning your beliefs and coming back to them, now you know why you believe what you believe. And getting outside of that echo chamber can also help you do that. Uh, we don't do that very often. Um, even inside of NSA, even though I am a Slytherin and I am loyal and NSAer, it is true that I seek other groups of people who are not speakers so that I can get kind of a multifaceted business lens or business advice that instead of just from speakers. Uh, because I have to get out of my own comfort zone. That's one of the things I missed the most when the shutdown happened is that I didn't have access to local news and local newspapers anymore. So I had to go find them and seek them out. 
So one thing you often talk about is the language that we use and thinking through sort of the history of that language and things like that. So before we wrap this up, I, I didn't think it would be fair to do this interview without talking about certain things that people say on the stage. Going back to what I was saying, they're not intentionally you know, being wrong. They're not intentionally saying something wrong. It's something that's just in their vernacular and they say it and they don't know the history of that word. The one that I think of is someone saying, you know, oh, to, be, to being fully honest, you you open the kimono. And I heard you say one time, ah, 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 we really shouldn't use that word because of the historical treatment of it. And it changed the way I looked at the use of that word. But also now when I hear other people say it, I'm like, ooh, wait a minute, there's more to this. So Starting with that example, and I'm sure you have a hundred more, let's go down the fact of, of understanding the language that we use to make sure that we're not being offensive. Sure. So I think that the one of the hardest things to do around language is to recognize what your fill words are. Now, in Toastmasters, we're talking about ums and uh, yes. Um, and so, yeah. And mine is, I bring this to you. That's what I'm thinking. When I say that, I'm bringing this to you because I don't know how to fill the gap between the idea I just said and whatever's about to happen. So that's not what I mean by fill language here. What I mean are the idioms. And so when you're like, oh, my grandmother used to say that. Tip number one, they, your grandmother's older than you. So what did that phrase mean then? And do some research on it. When you do research on it, it doesn't mean you have to delete it. It just at least take responsibility for why you're using those words, right? So if we take the open the kimono uh, example, so Tom is dashing six foot something, right? Dashing San Diego, loyal beta fraternity brother, friend of mine. So for you to say, oh, we're going to open the kimono here. First off, it usually comes with this hand gesture of literally opening like a bathrobe, right? So when you do a historical review of what that means, one, you're all of a sudden talking about um, enslaved sex trade, and you're talking about a naked woman who may or may not consensually be naked in front of you. Tom, that is not what you meant. What you meant is like a behind the scenes. So what you know, when you know what you mean, then you can look at the words that you use to kind of like easily get there. And just understand what the history is. So when I was like, Tom, you should probably not use that. One reason you shouldn't use that is because knowing who you are and how you are, it would be inappropriate for you to say, let me open my kimono. And number two, when you know the history of why that would even be happening, that it's a distraction from where you're going. You don't need to say it. So you can actually say what you mean is, let's dive into that a little deeper, right? Uh, when you know those things, then you can intentionally use them or not. Now, I always get called out for this because some people actually talk about the history of idioms. Great. So when you're going to talk about the history of idioms, first off, excellent niche topic. I'm sure there's lots of money in this. But you can warn people what we're going to be doing today is talking about things that have a, an offensive history and why are they still here and what are we still using them for? Now you've set the tone and the context so now people know what to expect. So what are a few other things that maybe just are used a lot that makes you cringe? Well, everything makes me cringe because I'm a delicate snowflake, don't you know? Uh, very few things actually make me cringe. I think that it's the rule of thumb is the one that gets called up the most. And it actually got called up on the webinar as well, which literally has a translation to a legal precedence of how big of a branch you could beat somebody with as long as it was smaller than the width of your thumb. That is not what you mean. What you mean is, is what is typically acceptable. 
Fun facts, that is actually what that means. But uh, you don't have to say that anymore, right? So uh, I encourage people to use the Googles. It's free. So when you hear a little thing, just Google it in and learn about it and see if you still want to use it or you still don't want to use it. There's a lot of references to, um, if you think about how stereotypes will work, when you're starting to describe someone in a negative way, a lot of them will come out. So maybe you're using lame or crazy or insane. Those are words that you should only be using unless the, if the person identifies that way. Otherwise, don't. I'm really bad at that one. So I have to monitor and try to figure out, like, how am I editing my language? Um, there's also a lot of things when you think about lazy or if you think about poor or uneducated. Those, what you're trying to say is lazy, poor, or uneducated. But how we say that usually are a little bit more, we just think it's a little comedy, a little comic relief, but it's usually deeply rooted in uh, oppressing other people. And what is interesting is that, again, knowing who you are, you may not have felt oppressed by that, nor any of your people or your family, but there are people in the audience who have. So if you don't take responsibility for what you say, you're just marginalizing more and more audience members. And why would you want to do that? Absolutely. So Jessica, in this, you know, showing up in this evolving world, what are some last tips you have for all speakers to make sure that they're showing up correctly, that they're learning, that they're growing, and that they're able to uh, not fall into an area where they're going to be criticized necessarily? Well, I have no idea how to help you never be offensive and never be criticized again. So if that's what you're looking for, that's a little too much time on the ego horse, if you know what I mean. So you're going to have to balance between the ego horse and the humility horse and just navigate it like the rest of the world. Some of you may be feeling objectified and recognize that other people have been navigating objectification their entire life. So welcome to the club. And your work can still differentiate you even if you start at an object and you have to become your own expertise. There's hope in the world. You're not, you're not doomed. Once you can know who you are and how you are and where you are literally and metaphorically in the context you're going to be able to address a broader audience. You're going to be able to make connections with people in the audience that maybe you weren't before, but it also will become habit forming and you'll be able to actually practice without even making your own self-defensive practice, your own sense of self-reflection and taking responsibility for who and how you are. That ultimately is about doing the best you can with what you've got some of the time. Do the best you can with what you got some of the time. That is good enough now. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being a guest here on Speakernomics. And everybody should be thinking right now about signing up for Influence 2022 in Nashville because Jessica is just one of a great lineup of speakers who is going to inspire you to do better in this world, in life, and as a speaker. So make sure that we see you at Influence 2022 in Nashville. So Jessica, again, thank you so much for being here and thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. You know what? Join us every single week on Speakernomics where we're going to try to bring you more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money as a professional speaker. And always remember the motto of this podcast. Speak, get paid, repeat.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>